0: I want to give you a very similar gift to the one that George Bailey received. And that is to help us look at First Chronicles 16 and ask the question, what if our Olmstead Falls, just like Bedford Falls, turned into Pottersville in the movie, just in case you don't know what i'm talking about. i'm sure we'll send a link in the email or something like that. i was going to show you the studio c version of that, which i think is even better, where george bailey actually finds out that everybody's life has improved when he's not around. <laughs> but i thought that wouldn't necessarily set up my point very well, so you know, here we are. What i want us to consider though is what if we were to just go with the commercial trend and decide that we are going to begin to celebrate Christmas and we'll just skip Thanksgiving altogether. And more than just a holiday, what if it wasn't as though Thanksgiving wasn't just around, but the whole concept of us being grateful to God didn't work, didn't exist, never was around? What if Thanksgiving itself couldn't find Zuzu's petals? What would happen to our lives? And what I want to suggest, through the miracle of graphic design work, and I get credit for this one, not Zoe, what if Pottersville turned into Thanklessville? There it is. There it is. Don't worry. We'll turn all graphic work over to Zoe from here on. But that's really the question we're going to ask. We're going to do something very similar to what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15. Remember the argument he was making for the resurrection was to assume what if it wasn't there? And then he sort of argued it from the opposite perspective. What we're going to do in in 1 Chronicles 16, and we're going to go back a little bit before what Olivia read. We're going to begin in verse 8. Because verse 8 begins this way. Oh, give thanks to the Lord... Call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. And then it ends in verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And with gratitude bracketing David's prayer in First Chronicles 16, what I want to do is look at all the verses in between and ask the question, what if we didn't have thankfulness? What if gratitude was stripped away from this psalm? what if thankfulness and gratitude were stripped away from our lives, from our church? What would we be left with? Who would we be instead of a grateful people? What would we be in place of that? So today we get to be George Bailey, we get to live and be welcomed to Thanklessville itself. And I'm going to make five points. Now when Ashley saw the bulletin, she was like, oh no, five points? It's, not, it's okay. I think we can move through them relatively quickly. But here's what we're going to understand. If we were to pull thankfulness out of our lives, beginning in verse 9, here's what we would be left with we'd be singing our own praises. Listen to the way that David talks about being thankful, starting in verse 9. He says, sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Now, if you couldn't quite tell through my emphasis there, the whole point that I'm trying to make from verses 9, 10, and 11 is that if we were to reorient all of David's focus, then rather than being people who would sing his praises, we would be left with what? What what is the other option if God is not there to be thankful to Well, you'd have the cultural definition of Thanksgiving today where we get together and we just thank each other or we thank ourselves in some weird, twisted, circular way for all the good things that we've done. And that's who we'd become. We'd be people who sang our own praises. Listen to this quote. Every morning when I wake, the greatest of joys is mine, that of being Salvador Dali. It sounded so good till the end, didn't it? That's literally in a list of some of the greatest egotists in the world that I found on some website called egotists.com or something like that. I found that quote from Salvador Dali. Well, the fact that I don't really like his artwork, too, kind of helps me to, you know, throw the guy under the bus. But the truth is, he doesn't, this isn't some unique statement, right? Most artists, most athletes... The end of a game when you're watching and you know you just did really well. You were an amazing quarterback. We think you're really impressive, so we want to interview you. What should he say? Oh, defense played really well. I had a great line today. And boy, did you see how well my receivers got open? We wouldn't have been able to do anything without the run game. That's all the stuff he's supposed to say. But if he's honest, most of them would say, what do you think they pay me 16 times more than everybody else for? I'm the best. Of course I did well. If I didn't do well, you guys would be ripping me, so give me some credit. We wouldn't really like those interviews, and really the, you know, the reporter would probably be looking at the camera like, ooh, sorry about this, guys. Because whether it's feigned or whether it's real, we just expect that people shouldn't take credit all the time, even if they've done really well. That's because we weren't built to sing our own praises. Even in a world like the NFL, where everything revolves around the individual and the strength of the team, all their preparation, all their work, all their deeds, we know inside, we don't want them to take credit for it at the end. That's so why if you've ever watched a really cringy Hall of Fame speech, it's the guy who says, yeah, I was the best in the world, and boy, I was angry my entire time that I didn't get taken in the first round. And you think, Really? You, with all you accomplished, that's still what you want to point out is that somebody disrespected you back in middle school basketball? And yet, this is what we would be reduced to. Sing praises to me. Sing praises to me and tell of all my wondrous works. Glory in my holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek me rejoice these don't make really good worship songs and they make worse lives guys. What David is encouraging us right in the very beginning saying, look, I want us all collectively to be able to give thanks to God. And here's the thing that I want to mark our gratitude is that we're noisy about it. We are melodious about it. We're public and vocal about it. That people hear from us in beautiful ways, how grateful we are for God so that we can all go to him, verse 11, and we can seek his strength and his presence continually. We live in Thanklessville. We're stuck singing our own praises. But he doesn't end there. Verse 12, we find these words. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles And the judgments that he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. And because David is now looking backward and saying, look at what God has done. He's telling us, don't forget a grateful people are a people who remember what God has done. But if George Bailey never existed, and if Thanksgiving just goes away, what are we left with? We're left with Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Bitch, I could throw a football over those mountains. Man, if I was back in the day, oh, we'd have made state, of course you'd only put me in. What would we be left with? We'd be a people who would dwell on all of our own successes. I could have been a contender. Do you ever do that? Do you ever replay your history and think, if only, what if, how well? And we're sad that it didn't go that way, or we look back and we realize those good moments that happened and we wonder, why did they not happen more frequently? What's inside of us? It's this rebellion against not just humility. It's a rebellion ultimately against gratitude, looking into the past and being grateful for what God has done, remembering that he's the hero of the past and not us. It's so horrible when we read it and say, remember the works that I've done, my miracles, the judgments that I uttered. Oh, offspring, everyone around me, all the children around me, look Know my story and tell it for generations because when we think back about the past, what I want you to remember is that I did a great job. Oh, it's so awkward whenever we're there, isn't it? When we're only dwelling on our own successes in the past, when we're only singing our own praises in the present, we become the exact opposite of what David is saying and we become the potter of the towns that we're creating. And nothing turns out better. The problem is if you're going to live that way and you're honest about your past and you're honest about your present, then you don't only have success in your past, do you? See, the downside of getting people to sing your own praises in the present and the downside of only remembering your successes and dwelling on them in the past is that in the present, you are not just successful, you're also a failure. In the present, you're not just strong, you're also weak. And in the past, that's been part of your story as well. So if you're going to try and live that way by getting credit for everything that's done well, you have absolutely no remedy for all the times that you've failed. That's the third point that we see. David says, remember his covenant forever the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for inheritance. What is David doing there in 15 through 18? He's looking back at Israel's past, but do you see the people that he remembers? He remembers Abraham, who lied not once but twice about who he was married to so that he could benefit. His son Isaac, who learned the family trait and lied about his wife, Rebecca, as well so that he could benefit. A father and a son who, when faced with danger, told their wives, you get in front and shield me from the danger. Let me put you forward. Men first, because the ship is sinking. That's Abraham and Isaac's legacy. And David points to them and says, it's a good thing God made some promises to those guys. Because it's not just the grandfather and it's not just the father, it's also the son. Jacob, verse 17 And to Jacob, the king of all liars, the one who was pulling his brother's leg whenever he first came out of the womb, the one who was really named as a deceiver, he's the one who also gets this everlasting covenant. Why? Because in the seventh part of 17, we realize that God made a huge impact He took a man who was based around his own self-promotion and his own deception, and he changed him entirely into someone who was going to be able to be marked by this covenant. We don't think of the Jacobites. We think of the Israelites. Because God took him, and he beat him into submission. So that 17 could capture both elements of who this guy was. A man who would do everything he could, lie to his dad, lie to his brother, take advantage of everything for his own benefit, and a man who would learn that he had to submit to God. And ultimately to all of them, God said, verse 18, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. What else does David remember about the past? It's not just the weakness of their their forefathers, right? It's not just Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who were weak. He continues on in verse 19. So then when you were few in number, of little account, and when you were sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, what happened? He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account saying, touch not my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. David looks into the past and he says, from the forefathers to every little person all in between. When we look at the past, if we can't thank God for it, what are we? Well, then if we don't have a a heart of gratitude, if that's just erased from the equation, if we live in Thanklessville, then we are fretting over our own weaknesses. We're, We're little squirrels out there, always looking and worried about the next danger, always trying to ask a question. Do I have enough stored up for the future? Because why? I have to protect myself from danger. Why? I have to guard up against my future. So I need to be busy. I need to be active. I need to be fretting, fretting, fretting all the time. And David says, you know, you we don't have to live that way. Even though we're weak in the past and even though our weakness will carry on into the future, you know the hope we have and the promise we have? It's not the ability we have to secure our future. That's not what's going to secure it for us. It's the fact that we go back to verse 15 and we remember his covenant forever. A word that he commanded that lasted for a thousand years. Generations. Why can we, when we're young and weak, and why can we, when we're old and weak, have confidence? It's because God's making promises that endure all of our weakness. Abraham's and Isaac's and Jacob's and all of us as we just live in verse 19, we don't have to be fretting over our own weaknesses. Because if we're willing to to let what's happening now, what's happened back then, and how we think about what's going on in the future, if we're willing to let all of that set on God's shoulders and to be grateful for what he's done now and then and in the future, oh, well, then we're not Salvador Dali, we're not Uncle Rico, we're not little squirrels worrying about where we're going on. Instead, we get to declare something else to a world that's watching. Verse seventy-three 23, we get to sing to the Lord all the earth and we get to tell of his salvation every single day from day to day and we declare his glory this way, why among everybody who's watching because the time will come and it may happen more often than you know when the camera is actually on you and the microphone actually comes up to your lips and somebody maybe someone whose camera you don't even know and a microphone you never knew was even on is actually coming up and saying what's going on in your life when I think about mom and dad and where they came from, and how they're going to think about the future. When the little ones in your world are watching, what do they hear? Why? Because they're they're among the nations, verse 24. Those are some of the most impressionable people's At the end of verse 24. And they're the ones who need us to declare his glory and not our own. They are the ones who need us to sing his marvelous works. So that they, whenever their camera is focused on us. They won't hear us talking about us. And what protects us from always talking about us. Talking about him. And being grateful for him. Why? For great is the Lord And greatly to be praised. And he's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. But when the camera's on, and when that rivalry comes to the forefront, When your kids hear you talking about somebody else who's doing well in their life and they hear you describing what's going on in their world, do they hear you grateful for God's work in their life or do they hear you singing the sob story of your own? Do they hear you competing for their devotion, trying to tell the story so that you're the hero? Do they hear and do they feel that tension inside because strip gratitude away, that's what we're reduced to. We know we're not going to be the best ever. But in some cases, we just need to be better than them, right? Otherwise, pull it away. Maybe I wouldn't say, that great am I, and greatly for me to be praised, but I could at least tell the story so that you knew that I was greater than they were. Maybe you wouldn't hear me saying, everybody else's gods are worthless idols, but you might hear me saying, well, what they're dedicated to is kind of trivial compared to what I'm dedicated to. Come join me. Be devoted to what I've done. Be devoted to this thing that excites me and we'll be better than them together. Why is this energy such a part of human culture no matter what time, what country, what era? I submit it's because we're not grateful. But if we hear David in the beginning and in the end saying, listen, you are to give your thanks to God and to deflect it, then we don't have to be competing for each other's devotion because at the end of the day, all of us are just collectively here together looking up at him and saying, let's get our eyes off each other. Hmm? Let's focus on him because great is the Lord. He is the one greatly to be praised and he is to be feared above everything else that we might worship. And that's ultimately what gratitude delivers us to. It brings us to the spot that Olivia read, where we're free now to ascribe to the Lord all families of the peoples, to ascribe to the Lord all the glory. And all the strength to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name and to bring an offering and come before Him. We worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness and it makes us tremble before Him along with all the earth because the earth is established and it shall never be moved. So then all the heavens can be glad and all the earth can rejoice. And all of it can say among the nations, the Lord reigns so that the sea is roaring and all that fills it. The field is exalting and everything that's in it. And all the trees of the forest shall sing for joy before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. It's funny when the kids start looking back over photo albums of what it was like in the 80s. And I dressed, I always think, pretty much exactly like I dress right now. I think my hair was parted about the same way. I think I more or less wore the same stuff. Until you see that picture and you're like, wow, your hair was really big and puffy. Dad, is that a mullet you had going on in the back? was it?" it the was pseudo-mullet. There was a little party in the back going on in my world, and my jeans were probably a little bit tighter back then, and my shirts probably a little bit puffier, and there were a few times that my collars were a little bit higher. And the kids look at it, and they're like, hmm, that hasn't aged well, Dad. And I realized, you know, what I thought was so important back then, how did I look on Wednesday in 1988? I was in 10th grade. It was such a big deal at that moment because I wanted to walk into my school and have people go, yeah, all right. But it faded. It passed. And it was worthless. And everybody's so used to that. We're like all those flamingos just walking around with your heads up, strutting around. It's all we learn in middle school. How do we make sure that we stand out without standing out? How do we make sure that we're exactly like other people so that everybody who looks at us goes, yep, we approve of what you're doing right now. And then you meet somebody who lives by a different value system. You meet somebody who isn't non-conforming because they're part of the group that's not conforming, but you meet somebody who's actually free of all that. And you realize you live, for a totally different ambition, a totally different power. Or you you come into a setting like this and we look at truth together and you realize, oh, wait a second, my chains are gone. I'm free. My God and my Savior, he's ransomed me. What an amazing grace. And then we walk back and we're shackled again. What is it that protects us? What is it that Counteracts that? What is it that prevents us from worshiping the worthless? I think if David were to join in here, and I think he is through this psalm, you'd say, How about you're just thankful? What if this was so important that Paul, looking back on this concept in the New Testament, said, I really don't care if it's going well and I really don't care if it's going poorly. I want you to give thanks in every circumstance. Not because God's upstairs, you know, just sort of going, oh, there's nobody going to pay attention to me. I just really need them to come visit and say thank you, you know, because you know, I just feel so deficient like that. That's not why. He's doing okay. Praise is abundant in heaven. The call for it is to rescue us. Because if we are not rescued by regularly being thankful, then we are worshiping the worthless. And we are competing for each other's devotion. And we are fretting over our weaknesses. And we are dwelling on our successes. And we are singing our own praises. And I can tell you that life in Thanklessville is miserable. Because I have been there and I return there way too regularly. And so David says, sing to him remember his wondrous works remember his covenant when you were few in number you sing to the Lord in front of the entire earth because he's the one to be praised and when you have anything that you need to ascribe somewhere when you're balancing the books of your life and you're trying to be the scribe over it all who are you going to ascribe credit to where are you going to say oh this went well why did it go well who gets gratitude for this you remember inside that impulse I have to credit 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 myself will kill me and will kill those watching me. So instead, I move the balance in the books over to God. That went well. Let's put that in the credit column for God. Let's be the one who ascribes to the Lord all glory and strength, who ascribes to the Lord the glory that's due to his name. And so we bring an offering of our gratitude. We come before him, we worship him, and we tremble before him because we recognize you didn't have to do any of this. You didn't. Every little thing I'm thankful for is simply because you are good. And so he says in verse 34, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And then he throws a P.S. in there. It's a little bit of a weird moment in the psalm because I come to the end of 34 and I say, Yes! 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 And then he says, oh, uh, P.S., say also this. Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your holy name. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. It's an interesting, it's an interesting moment, isn't it? It feels like, uh, you know, it feels, I don't know exactly. It feels like this far side that I saw once of, of a, uh, of a choir that's up and it says right before that last moment, when the last note ends, but before the first, you know, applause begins, Ernie belched out. That's all folks. I always kind of liked as a comic. That's the way verse 35 feels to me a little bit. I was reading it. I'm like, I'm not going to preach 35. It ends at 34. That's, that's the nice way to end. Except for 35 is inspired as well. And I think it's valuable for this reason. Because when the last note ends, just like when the last song is sung and we walk out the doors, it's like David's right there just before we step outside saying, here's your mantra this week. Here's your prayer this week. Here's the thing you need to repeat over and over and over this week. God, save me from forgetting. Save us, O God, and gather and deliver us from among the nations so that we can give thanks. It's not just, you see, his prayer isn't just, hey, give thanks. It's you've got to come to God and say, save me so I can give thanks. For a while, we've been taking communion together. We've been doing it a little bit uh, differently than we have historically over our 22 years together. Coming up on 23. But we're going to be passing plates today. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. They're going to lead us in a song. And we are going to effectively, by taking communion together. Now, if you still want, we still have the, the hermetically sealed ones. Um, but as we're passing the plates together, this... This gets to be a moment where we are coming and saying, God, we hear your call for us to be thankful. And we need your help so we can be thankful. So would you save us? And we come together to take this meal so that we remember, oh, he did. So let me pray. Father, we are grateful, especially as we prepare and as we remember Lord, this appeal that came long ago from David celebrating the fact that you were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back in. That you were bringing your presence back into the city of your people. Father, I thank you that we remember that you, you didn't just bring us to your presence, but you brought your presence to us. We were lost and we were wandering and we were among the nations and you came as a baby who grew up perfectly and then died sacrificially. And if there were nothing else in our life that we could say thank you for, we say thank you for that you loved us enough to die for us. Father, I pray, would you build gratitude in us, build gratitude among us in our conversations, so when the camera's on us, people will hear something different from us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Plates will be passed during the first song.